Hello and welcome to the Panhandle Primate Podcast. I am your host, Dexter Kearley, um, and I got a pretty good uh, episode for you today. Today's guest is Chuck Fisher of the Chalice Abbey here in Amarillo, Texas. Um, they're located across the street from Crunch, uh, just off of Georgia Street, and they have a really cool space. They got like one half, one side of it is um, free trade, a free trade store, and the other half of it is like a uh, gathering. I, th- I believe they refer to it as a sacred space. Um, they host centering prayers and meditations and. Uh, book club gatherings, as well as artists, and um, I believe they've hosted uh, with one of the friends of the podcast, Jenny Anzarello, they host a living room concert series there occasionally. So, um, super cool space, Chuck was a really good uh, really good guest, a really fun guest. Uh, it started off with a little bit of um, frustrations. Uh, I uh, I got there, and I met him at the Chalice Abbey. We set up in the uh, in their like main gathering space there for the conversation. And right off the bat, I can't I couldn't figure out how to get my like. Typically, I just plug all my stuff in, and GarageBand just instantly recognizes the microphone. But for whatever reason, it was not recognizing my microphone, so we started off with some technical difficulties right out of the gate. And it took me a while. I mean, it was like uh, one of those things where we had like a good interaction first thing, we got some cup, a uh, couple cups of coffee, and then we sat down and we got all in position, and we were actually having a, a, a very lovely conversation, and then it's like, okay, it's time to get the stuff out and it's time to get going. And it would not go. So it took us a while, or it took me a while to figure out what my problem was. Eventually it just started working and we went with it. So the uh, audio quality might not be as great as it has been in the past. I couldn't quite figure out how to get, get it fixed. And in the moment, I was just getting more frustrated. So we just jumped in and went with it. So it was really, really fun conversation, like I said. His message is super important, um, especially, well, his message, their message, he uh, references uh, the contemplative mind, which uh, I've been reading some Richard Rohr stuff recently. He's a Franciscan monk out of uh, Albuquerque, I believe. Um, and, you know, the especially in the political climate, that is pushing so hard for, like, group affiliations um, it's really cool to talk to a guy and to hear about a way of thinking that is kind of contrary to that. It's more of, um, you know, kind of looking within yourself, looking into the, uh, the larger, hmm, would it be like maybe, maybe narrative, you know, like it's, it's kind of like, like when they have centering prayers there, you know, but that's kind of the the concept or the idea is to um, maybe focus a little less on what society is telling you to be and more on who you are. Um, I believe Chuck says in this, uh, who you were created to be. Um, so it's it's super interesting. It's really cool, you know, finding that inner self. Uh, sometimes it's really difficult in a world that, you know, shoves consumerism and 
uh, different materialistic type things down your throat and tells you what to be. Uh, sometimes it's good to unplug and, uh, you know, sit in quiet. So this is a super good episode, a lot of fun recording it. Um, I'm sure I'll have Chuck on again. He was a lot of fun to talk to and I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Um, I really like doing podcasts with people that like I met him for the first time right before we sat down. So it was really fresh. It was a fresh palette. I didn't have a whole lot of preconceived notions going into it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so, um, let's see here. I got some other notes on this. Oh, so one of the things that's really cool about this is it's relevant for theists and non-theists alike. Um, I don't know if uh, any of the listeners to this podcast are aware of Sam Harris, but he's an atheist who does a lot of meditation work and stuff. And so one of the things that's cool about contemplative prayer um, and meditation, I think that they're, you know, they're almost interchangeable. Uh, listen to the episode. Chuck explains it a little bit better. But um, the, uh, the mechanism is the same. The uh, the result is the same, whether you think that there's a higher power or you don't think there's a higher power. Meditation, is, it has a way of physiologically and psychologically uh, affecting everybody, no matter what you go in believing, which is kind of an interesting thing. And I guess I could probably talk about that for a long time, but um, it's cool, man. It's just a cool, it's cool to see somebody who's trying to connect with the larger narrative. Uh, and by larger narrative, I mean like human nature, um, human, uh, like the human species, you know. So um, check it out and uh, check him out. Check out the Chalice Abbey. Get involved. If it's something that you're interested in, um, I, I believe I'm going to put a link to the Chalice Abbey's website in the uh, description show notes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, – just hop on there. They have a lot of meeting times. Um, so just check it out. It's not hard to find. Um, so, and then I've got a few announcements of just some exciting things that are going down in the old A-Town coming up. So the first thing I want to talk about is the Refugee Language Project. They meet every other Sunday. Um, this month, it's November 11th and 25th at 5 o'clock. For this thing called Table Talk. Uh, My wife has been going. um, The um, main guy is a linguist. And my wife, of course, is wanting to be a linguist. So they have, you know, there's a connection. She has a connection right there. But uh, also, it's just a great... um, Ryan Pennington, he's the guy that's like running the whole thing. Um, It's just a really great project. They... um, Oh, well, we got my... Uh, little baby's come. Oh, my my baby's hands are sticky. Oh, hey, you want to say hi to everybody? Do you want to say hi to the podcast? No. You don't want to say hi? Are your hands sticky? Go say hi. You want to say hi? Okay, say hello. Here, just say hello. 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 Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, you gotta wash your hands. Little baby came running in. Hey, will you close the door? Thank you. Um, where was I? So the Refugee Language Project, um, the one that we went to this past uh, weekend, had uh, Mayor Ginger Nelson spoke uh, to the group. Um, 
it's really cool because it's, and I don't want to put any words in the mouth of the Refugee Language Project, but it's it's really cool because it offers an opportunity to anybody who wants to volunteer to help integrate um, refugees that are in Amarillo from all over the world, um, teach them English, but it's also a really great opportunity to, to learn from people who have different life experiences, uh, different cultures, um, different perspectives on everything. It's a really cool opportunity. So the, the, this, the November 11th and 25th at five o'clock, it's called table talk. And you literally just sit and talk with refugees. It's super cool. Uh, I think there's a meal first, you know, like it's kind of like potluck style. So you like, you bring a, bring a dish to share. Um, and it's just super cool. You sit down and you just talk with, we talked with a, a fella named Omar, who was super nice, really fun, uh, cool dude. And, you know, you might think that you know something about them or about their culture. Uh, and by them, I mean specifically refugees. Um, and I, um, but until you sit down and talk with them, you know, there's an entire, you know, new perspective that you have an opportunity at. You know, you have an opportunity uh, to meet. So, it's a super cool program. He, uh, Ryan Pennington's got a lot of, uh, plans for it. And it's like, it's really cool to see because it's continually growing. And the only, I think, I don't exactly know, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say the only limitation is how many people are willing to help. So the more people who want to have volunteer with it, who can come up with interesting ideas, um, I'm sure Ryan's willing to hear them. So Check it out. Check them out on Facebook. Check them out on Instagram, Refugee Language Project. It's a great way, um, especially like in the political climate. Immigration's a huge thing. What better way to, to help immigration and immigrants than, you know, to like literally sit across the table from refugees and immigrants. So great opportunity. Um, check it out if you're if you're looking for something to do, if you're looking for a way to get out of your own comfort zone, push yourself and help the city, um, this is a great way to do it. So, number two, I'm gonna. So, uh, I played a smooth taste the other night, um, or the other night, other day. Do, is time relevant whenever you're recording a podcast? I'm not sure. So, my last episode, I played a song, "Dark Matter" by Smooth Taste. Um, but they're playing November 16th at nine o'clock at the golden light. I believe the band that they're opening for is called when particles collide. I don't really know anything about that band, but anyway, if you're looking for some live music in Amarillo, go check those dudes out golden light. Um, I think there's a cover, but check out the Facebook. They got a, they got an event on Facebook. Check it out. Um, and then the third thing I was going to announce is, the Critical Mass Bomb City Bike Ride. It's Friday, November 30th at 6 o'clock. There's a Facebook group. If you just type in Critical Mass Bomb City. Um, well, Critical Mass. Yeah, I think it's just Critical Mass Bomb City. I think that's what the group's called. But they got a Facebook group. Uh, Luis, who is a previous guest. He was on a few episodes back. He runs that uh, Facebook group. Um, and I believe, you know, I, I think each Friday is pretty much an open slate. It's whatever, 
everybody who shows up, it's whatever everybody wants to do. But I think he was kicking around the idea of getting some tacos, of uh, riding to a taco truck and getting some tacos, which would be a great time. So um, check that out. Hop in on the uh, Facebook page and get involved. Um, so, and there's a lot of other stuff going on in Amarillo. I just picked those three. I'm trying to keep these intros a little bit shorter, um, out of respect for the guest and also out of respect for your ears. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff going on in Amarillo. Um, stay tuned. I'm going to try to continue to announce stuff. If you're hearing this podcast and you think that there's something that would be cool for me to announce, hit me up, shoot me a little message on Facebook or something. Um, follow people on Facebook, get involved. So get out and get involved. Anyway, so all of that said, um, the song I'm going to play you into the interview with is, uh, by Mount Ivy. Um, my next guest is actually, so after this episode is, uh, Broderick. Uh, he's the lead singer in Mount Ivy. I've already had John Rubin on, um, before it's all said and done, I'm sure I'll have them, the whole band on. They're, uh, cool dudes and each of them are talented in like unique and interesting ways, not just musically. So, uh, a lot to talk to all of those dudes about, but this song is called Cherry Frosted House. It's off their 2016 Wabi Sabi release, uh, album. And I believe, I'm trying to remember exactly if Broderick said that they're done with their new album or if they're still I think they're done with it or maybe they have to master it or they have to do something but there's a new Mount Ivy album coming out super soon um and whenever it does I'll be sure to you know plug it or hype it on the podcast so but until then check this song out um uh and check out the show notes below for links and stuff and hopefully that you know you can find anything any questions in that link. So anyway, without further ado, this is uh, Cherry Frosted House by Mount Ivy. Um, hopefully you enjoy the episode and until next time, peace out.
Okay, so it's picking up noise. Hello, hello. Alright, is that? That's the weirdest thing because it's working. So. It's been the cord, I guess, huh? When it's, it's weird because it still shows input is built in. But it's definitely recording from the mic. You want to give me uh, some some talking just so I can get my levels dialed? Okay. Well, looking forward to the conversation and seeing where it goes. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, well. Got a sense that it's going to go a multitude of directions. Yeah, uh, hopefully better than the, than the starting, than right? The start, I mean, right. it's like technical difficulties, my goodness. And I still don't – I still have – no idea what happened here. This, it's actually one of the funny things that I started a podcast because I'm technically challenged, uh, like in a lot of God, ways. And, and like even for this, I feel like that there's probably a ton of people who could have easily um, been like, oh, okay, well, this is what your problem is and this is how you need to fix it and this and that. And it's like, man, that is just for some reason not me, you know? Uh, Understand. Um, That's why I wasn't offering you any suggestions. Yeah, like, I have none. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna. I don't know what's going on, but it'll happen. All right, so uh, we're recording. So um, I'm here with Chuck Fisher of the Chalice Abbey in Amarillo. So what is um, the fair trade side and the sacred space side together create the Chalice Abbey? Right. 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 The, uh, the, fair tra the fair trade store is the uh, reason that we gathered together as a community. Uh, fair trade, as a lot of people or some people know, is, uh, has, has to do with empowering people in third world countries with an opportunity to make a, make a living. And so what we do is work with organizations that support fair trade and provide artisans in, in these third world countries with an opportunity to sell their products. Mm. So it's, it's an outlet for, for folks. The uh, spirituality part of, of, our, of our mission has, has to do with uh, taking a contemplative approach towards, towards life, of looking, looking at the whole picture rather than just our individual silos that we, mm. we tend to fall into. So. Okay, I'm going to pause the recording for just a second to double check and make sure we're good. Take direction you want to go? Yeah, yeah, for or, sure. Well, just take it wherever you want to go. Yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm um, so I was actually going to start with uh, your backstory. Like oh, what okay. is like an intro to Chuck? Okay. Well, I'm, I've uh, been a minister in the Christian Church, Disciple to Christ, for about 50 years now. It's mm. going on 50 years. Uh, been in Missouri and... Uh, Idaho, and, but mostly in Texas. Okay. And I was uh, what what's called a, a judicatory. A judicatory executive. Executive. Yeah. What yeah, is which, that? Which what means that mean? I help churches find ministers, and if there's conflicts in churches, I help resolve those conflicts. Ah, uh, which I imagine there's quite a few. Yeah, a lot, a lot, and uh, what the Chalice Abbey is, where 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 I am right now uh, was a new church start. Uh, we call it a church, but we're not like any church that you've probably ever encountered mm -hmm. uh, because we're not, uh, we don't have membership. And uh, so this, this was a project that I participated with a colleague in, in developing. So, so where are you from originally? 
California, Southern California. Oh, okay. Well, part of like what? Long Beach area. Long Beach area. Yeah. So you go from living on a beach in California and now you live in Amarillo, Texas, which is as far from beach. Like well, it's only about a thousand miles. Yeah, it's only about a thousand miles. A short <laughs> jaunt. That's short. Yes. Um, yes. So, so what brings you specifically to Amarillo? Well, I originally came here because of... Uh, of my job i've since retired okay so uh but that that was the original reason for coming here and so why'd you stay i like emerald i we we grew uh we really like the climate for one thing oh really yeah yeah we do we like the drier you don't get that very often you don't get a lot of people that say that they enjoy emerald for the climate but i agree with you i actually really i, I grew up some in north carolina mm-hmm. and there it's a humid heat Yep. So even in the summer, whenever you try to get away from the heat, you can't go to the shade and get away from the heat. Good it's man. it's still just as oppressive. But it's, in Amarillo, you get in the shade mm-hmm. with a nice breeze and you cool off very quickly. Absolutely, and that's yeah, that's one of the reasons. The evenings are so nice. And, mm. uh, yeah. See, I went to uh, both my wife and I went to uh, TCU, and then I went to graduate school there. So oh, I, okay. I spent about eight, nine years in Fort Worth. Fort Worth is, you know, oppressive in the summertime. Yes. So I I had no, even though, even though I I would love to be around the university and that sort of thing, I don't want to live in Fort Worth. Yeah, don't blame you at all there, man. I, we spent quite a bit of time, my Mm in-laws lived uh, just outside of Fort Worth uh, and my father-in-law worked in Fort Worth. So we spent a lot of time down there visiting. Now they have, do you know where Stephenville is? Oh yeah. They, they have a ranch right outside of Stephenville. So they just moved out there. So cool. At least now we get to go down to the ranch. It's still hot, but we get to go to the ranch instead of the city, which is a little bit of a different yes. Uh, yes. pace, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you so y'all you retire mm-hmm. and you decide you want to stay in Amarillo. Yes. How did this project get started? It it uh, at the time that we we started it, uh, we had an opportunity. We got we we meaning the the High Plains area, which is where I was the area minister for. Uh, we had an opportunity with some money to uh, start something new, and uh, one of my uh, my associate uh, minister, uh, we were working together to try to develop some new approach to doing uh, to doing ministry in the community, and uh, it was Paul Caruth, mm. and Paul came up with the idea for the Abbey. It was one of those things he he was looking for several years, literally. Going, going to other churches and trying to see what what could we do to contribute to the community, and it came to him this idea about fair trade, and the spirituality in the arts. That's what we what we feel is that that spirituality is expressed through graphic arts, through music, in in many ways like that. And uh, so that was his concept for mm. this. And then my role in it was. Uh, working the machinery of the organization to, mm. <laughs> to provide the money to do the project. Okay. So. Okay. That's pretty cool. So let's see. So how, how did the connection with contemplation and like, how did that come in to this like space? Like, mm-hmm. was it from the get go? Was it intended to be an opportunity for that? Partially, uh, it it has it has evolved over the years. Uh, what we we began with the spirituality and the arts 
piece and the contemplation part came about through an experience uh, that my wife and I had with uh, Richard Rohr mm. and the Center for Action and Contemplation yeah. in uh, Albuquerque. Yeah, dope, man, because I've actually – so I'm currently reading uh, – dang, can't remember the name of the book. Spiritual Gifts may, or no. Uh, uh, Mortal Diamond? No. Uh, uh, it's uh, – it's a Richard Richard War. Love, uh, he's no. written a book. Yeah, books. yeah, he's written a ton of books. <laughs> but I actually got into listening to him through, um, well, uh, what was it? The Liturgist podcast had him on, and then uh, do you know the You Made It Weird podcast no, with uh, Pete Holmes? No, he talked. He's he's into Ram Dass okay. and like all that yeah. movement, but he's also like really into Richard Rohr. Uh, for like obvious reasons, obvious yeah. overlaps and stuff. So like he just like popped up on my radar. I didn't know who Richard Rohr was, but he popped up on my radar on several different uh, podcasts that I listened to. And then I started like looking into him and looking into some of the books he's written, but mostly the lectures he's given mm-hmm. on in, that are on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and man, it's it's eye opening. It's a different side of Christianity than is like typically. Uh, uh, what what's the right word? Um, shown, you know, like uh, it's a different way of viewing what Christianity is, right? Versus just like a set of knowledge that you right understand. Um, yeah, it's experience. It's an experience. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the uh, than what you believe, it's what you've experienced mm-hmm. is a piece of of how you express it. So that was going to be. One of my one of my questions, and we'll just jump down. So sometimes I I imagine like spirituality and like the human being is an antenna for and so that there's actually a reality that exists. And sometimes the human body, the vessel, can like be an antenna for this like thing that exists, uh, irregardless of the human existing. Mm-hmm. So. How would you how would you describe it? I describe it as like an antenna and a mm-hmm. signal. How, is there a way that you conceptualize it? Yeah, yeah, it's somewhat somewhat different that that uh, in in the mystical tradition of both Christ, of Christianity and and other other religious traditions uh, understand it that that we are participating in reality that we're not apart from reality mm. so rather than like it's an antenna picking up a thing out there that we are within mm. that reality and uh, we are making ourselves aware of what we're around that's why mm. we're that's part of the contemplative tradition is that that we are not other than it's reality. a part of you know, we are a part of Mm. A part of being. Uh, so, what is the what is the uh, separation that is inherent in being a human being? Like, what what is that? That's 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 the illusion. Mm. Is the illusion that we are separate from? We are not separate from reality. We are part of being. We're not that, but we think we're separate, and that's what creates many of the problems. Uh, that's why we have conflicts between people. Right. Is is that we think that we're other than, mm. and that, that and we're afraid of the other. Right. And you see that manifest all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You definitely. So it's it's kind of one of those things like um, an arbitrary line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Like the only reason that there's a line in the sand is because two people are agreeing 
that the line exists mm -hmm. when in reality it's just sand that's moved into a certain yeah, you know formation sure. so okay that's interesting so um kind of going back to the chalice <clears throat> abbey so one of the things i've been thinking about a lot recently is um and i i feel like maybe the church has done a disservice to the larger society is this like a uh, concept that thinking something is the same as believing something. So for instance, a, um, a non-theist, somebody who says, I am an atheist, they say, I believe this instead of acknowledging, um, like you said, a, a truth that exists in part of whether I believe it or don't believe it. You know, like my belief in it doesn't alter it. Whereas like Christianity, sometimes I feel like we're taught uh, what you believe alters what is given to you or what you have access to. So one of my questions was going to be like, um, is this a place for somebody that's a non-theist? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, the majority of people that uh, participate in our community are not theist. Uh, that matter of fact, that's one of the things that, uh, particularly with our the, the older participants, have have read widely, have had life experiences that lead them not to think that way, uh, to think in a more universal way mm. of of understanding their relationship uh, to being to itself, uh, being itself. Um, so. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the younger people like yourself are, are uh, turn away from the theistic ideas because you look at it and you say, well, that just doesn't really match my experience mm -hmm. in life uh, and, and my thinking. You know, the, the, the idea that there is something apart from us that directs life just doesn't, doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's I and I feel like it might possibly be like a result of science mm -hmm. and it's kind of cool I like instrumentation, you know, so you measure a gravitational wave with this large instrument that's built. So none of my senses, none of what I've been given can can detect a gravitational wave even though it's part of reality. We have to build this separate instrument. Right. And I feel like there's a lot of people who say, well, what's the instrument that we can build to detect God, you know, outside of ourselves? Um, and so like the, the conflict there of saying we have to be able to perceive reality outside of outside of the vessel, you know, and that's kind of what I was meaning. I wasn't necessarily meaning um, the antenna being separate from God, mm -hmm. you know, or like the, the human vessel somehow being separate. It's just kind of like a, like a radio wave and, and a radio both exist within the same physics, mm -hmm. you know, but one is the, is broadcasted and one is like a receiver of the broadcasted signal, you know, um, all that to say that <clears throat> I wonder if like, uh, like Christianity is constantly trying to like prove this outside of experience. You know, it's like, oh, we have all the, we have all these papers that prove this happened or we have this example, you know, whereas like contemplation, um, one of the reasons, like you were saying, it's so uh, 
appeals to me in that it provides a different direction towards the same connection. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so I guess what my question in that would be is like what, what would some of your advice be to somebody that uh, I guess, see, I, it's kind of funny. I'm like having to, I'm jumping around my, uh, my questions a little bit. And so it's like, it's cool. <laughs> um, it's, it's bother or it's a little bit of a difficulty for me at the moment. But, uh, one of the things is like, I think atheists as well as theists need church for the same reasons, you know, to invest in something larger than themselves and to make an impact on the community. Um, where does like contemplation fit in into that into like bridging that gap? Okay. Uh, well, let's see how how it could. Uh... It's kind of a complex. I'm sorry. Yeah, I try, trying to one of one of the uh, one of the challenges is uh, that uh, when you're when you're 72 years old, you know, and, and oh, you're 72. Yeah, you look great for 72. Oh, I didn't. I was thinking, <laughs> thinking you're a lot younger than that, but. In all those years, and and reading widely, and and then life, just life experiences, uh, sorting through an answer to something like that. Mm. Is, I don't want to go in. You know, I can go on and on, and you'd go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let, me, let me go at it this this way: that uh, oftentimes I'll hear and say, "Well, the church teaches, or mm. Christianity says this," and that. That's just that. That's too limiting, uh, in the sense that uh, there are a lot of manifestations of what would be defined as Christianity. The tradition that uh, we were talking earlier about Richard Rohr, uh, the tradition that he comes from is vastly different than that of the evangelical Christians in mm-hmm. America. Uh, he he comes from a Franciscan tradition, and they they are coming from uh, a Reformation tradition it's and they're very different and people say they're christianity well which one are you talking about you know roar is coming from the contemplative position of of uh experience is part of uh what christianity is your Mm -hmm. personal experience of the holy whereas in the evangelical tradition it's much more based on on a a logic that starts with the premise Mm. that there's scripture and scripture tells you what's true and what's not true well scripture is a part of this other but that's scripture is uh our experiences that other people have had and so you learn from their experiences Mm. and you you match them so it's it's a um to say Christianity teaches is is well, which one you talk about? Oh, uh, right, right, right. So. Yeah, and seeing even if you go back to like Christ's words, mm-hmm. he was speaking within a very specific context. Absolutely. So you have to understand the context and the religious fundamentalism that, and like the almost justification mm-hmm. of actions based off of you know. So it's like a logic that says. Um, well, colonialism, you know, or, uh, whenever, what was it called? Uh, the, the Louisiana purchase uh-huh. and manifest destiny. Manifest destiny. That, yeah. that is all a way of justifying right. what the society is about to do to this land or do to this people or do, you know, it's, it's our land to develop and to grow into. Right. And that, and, and that idea came out of 
uh, the Protestant religious tradition, mm. the, the the idea of uh, were were well, it came from the the first settlers the, uh, uh, from the English tradition, the Puritans, the mm. idea that 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 we have a destiny, and you know that, and then they just took the religious trappings away and made it a national mm. identity, and so that, that, that we're we're heavily tied into mm. uh, ideas. From from religious traditions that they're just com- woven in they, uh, so intricately that you can't even almost tell uh, the yeah, difference. Almost, yeah, yeah. It's uh, not not recognizing we're making uh, religious claims uh, under the guise of secular. Right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. That's kind of crazy to think about. Um, so I'm going to jump into my specific questions just okay. to keep myself a little bit more grounded. Sometimes I get a little <laughs> lofty and, and uh, crazy. So uh, so contemplative prayer, is it the same as centering prayer? They are, uh, centering prayer is, is a form of contemplation. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an ancient, ancient tradition that has just come back recently when you say ancient do you know like when exactly 300s like 300s okay so this is like the desert fathers right um exactly and so it's kind of when rome says hey we are now all christians in if you're a roman citizen you're a christian and then you got these like uh people who retreat into the desert and say i don't exactly know if i'm buying that you know we're gonna we're gonna take this other path mm-hmm. kind of a thing okay so that's and that is ancient. I mean, 300s. I mean, what is, yeah. you know, what's still around from the 300s, yeah. you know? So that's uh, pretty crazy. So what are some of the uh, common misconceptions around contemplative, well, contemplative prayer or, you know, if... if the contemplative approach. Yeah, uh, the contemplative prayer is one, is, is a contemplative approach. Okay. The uh, Well, one of the common misconceptions is that it's something new. Mm. Uh, that you'll you'll hear the the phrase "new age." Mm. Yeah, that, that started probably in the nineteen sixties or so, uh, roughly. With the hippies, with the yeah, with yeah. the drug revolution uh-huh. and rock and roll yeah. and yeah. and communes and stuff like uh-huh. new agey. Yes. Okay. Yes, and there and there was the, the, you know crystals and all this. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. They, they started associating it with that, and that's no, 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 no. That's not what it is. Uh, Although it came about at the same time, a fellow that was uh, one of the prime movers that made centering, I'm talking about centering prayer now, mm-hmm. made it was popular was Thomas Keating, mm-hmm. uh, who he passed away last week. Uh, and Mrs. Missouri, where, where was he from? Uh, well, he, he had a, uh, he was in a monastery in Colorado, Snowmass. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, he, uh, but he was 96 years old. <laughs> he was yeah. around a long time. Yeah. But he is the one that, that, uh, uh, I guess you'd say popularized it, and it came about around the same time as the New Age, and so people would associate it with it. But it had it. it what it goes back to centering the centering prayer idea goes back to the Cloud of Unknowing, mm-hmm. which is a book that was written uh, in the 12th century uh, in England by nobody knows who wrote it, uh, but they wrote it. The the monk that wrote it uh, had to write it anonymously because the church, uh, it, it wasn't exactly along the lines of uh, correct doctrine. Mm. You know, they were, associ- they were associating the 
the church that you mentioned about Rome, mm-hmm. it's what you believed. You had to believe these certain things. Now, if you believe these things, you know, uh, or said you did, that was what they called the faith. And if mm. you deviated from that, then... You're uh, a heretic. You're a heretic. Yeah. Well, the cloud of unknowing is saying, well, there are the beliefs, but there's also your experience of the holy, uh, which you arrive at that through... Uh, through a contemplative approach, through a, what Keating took to be the centering mm. prayer approach, which means, it can be a long answer. Oh, me. go, go for it, go for it. The, the, the idea of it, uh, of centering prayer, is that all of these ideas that you have, that you let go of them, divest yourself of that to, ex- to have the experience of what is holy. Mm. Anything that you can conceive that you can think in your mind is in the contemplative approach is not God. Because mm. if you can conceive it, you can you can encompass that which is all of reality. And so it's a letting go of ideas about God. Mm. And, and uh, I mean, you have to operate on the premise that you've got ideas about it, but you realize that that's not it. Mm. You know? Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, so... It's like one of the things I kind of have jotted down is uh, like identifying the true self. Mm-hmm. It's like so funny in, in our society right now, there's so much of like people wanting to let people figure out who they are themselves. Or like mm-hmm. uh, I think like the transgender movement of like letting a, a, a young child define themselves. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like the contemplative approach is almost – let go of your definitions of yourself and like come to a um, a more ethereal definition of yourself or something like that. Is that uh, an accurate? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it, it I, well. Not to say that there's anything wrong with transgender. I'm not trying to make like no, a political no, no, statement no, I, or I anything. I wasn't, wasn't thinking of that way. Uh, the, uh, the most uh, challenging thing that we face as individuals is going into ourself to find out who we are. Mm. Almost, I don't know, I wouldn't want to judge it that way, but most people don't want to do that. They want to look inside. They want somebody, they want to be told, here's what you're supposed to believe and here's how you're supposed to act and and going by societal norms. Uh, But why do you act the way you do? Why do you think the way you do? Mm -hmm. And, you know, who, who are you? And, and that isn't something that just happens. You have to, and not uh, you have to really look deeply, and it's not just finding all these wonderful good things, you know, because uh, we all carry wounds, mm. and we all have uh, things that have happened to us in life that that, that can lead us to uh, uh, less than admirable behavior, mm. and that's the part we don't want to look at, but that's part of who we are. Right. Hmm. Uh, so it's it's a. Uh, it's it's something that's just not done very often, and um, it's mostly men that don't do it. Uh, for for whatever reason, uh, uh, women are more more likely to be introspective than men are. Well, it it is kind of interesting. So my wife had a baby. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a baby, but my wife really had the baby. Um, she did all the work. Yeah. Oh man. And well, <laughs> see, and that's what's so interesting. One of the huge differences between men and women is this uh, 
this like dividing of the self. Like she was forced to divide herself. She is now Shannon who she was before the baby. And now she is Shannon with the baby and with the husband and with, you know, it's like her identity gets split so many times that you really, she is forced to say, who am I within all of these splitting of my persona? Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, I do have a baby and all this stuff, but that baby doesn't, whenever it gets hurt, it doesn't come running to daddy. It comes running to mama. Mm -hmm. Whenever the baby wants to cuddle, it doesn't come running to daddy. It comes running to mama, you know? So there's almost like this, this uh, forced just in, in having a baby, I feel like, you know, Mm -hmm. that, they're split and and I don't know if that's a like a primordial psychological thing that they have built into them just so that they can like cope with you know that I mean trauma you know mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like to think of a child or another baby as trauma but as there's a lot of trauma that of the comes, wounds, yeah, a yeah a wound a yeah. wound yeah yeah, and acknowledging that. You're and, no longer number one. If you're the oldest, you're no longer number one. Right, know? right. Hey, what's this? Oh, <laughs> man, yeah, that's crazy. Well, just just, just to pick up what you were talking about, your wife's experience with, with the child, is that that uh, tags on to what I was talking about, uh, about the um, our, our task in life is to individuate, is to understand who we are, who our true self is. Mm. And one of the tasks that we have is the separation from the mother, mm. which is more is more of a challenge for the man because it's a, you've got this safety mm. net here. But if you're, if you're going to be an individual, if you are going to define who you are as a male, is that you have to separate from the mother. And that's one of those things that that's one of our tasks in life is to... it's kind of interesting that the like parable of the the prodigal son mm-hmm. doesn't mention the mother it talks about the father and, uh-huh. and the money and kind of that kind of stuff but yeah. it is kind of interesting that Jesus like talks specifically about leaving your home right leave your identity leave what you believe yourself to be go try to find it and then once you realize that there is no identity, uh, that you can build for yourself, come back to being the child that you originally were, come back to the life that you were originally given, you know, I guess maybe find purpose there or something. Yeah, but that's a good, that was, that's good. So, yeah, I, I really like that, like the prodigal son parable, because you can like, you can kind of use it almost across the board, because that's, you know, even with spirituality, it's like, You've got to acknowledge the spirituality that you were given as a child, mm-hmm. but you have to also acknowledge that the only way to progress as a human is to move past the spirituality that you were given and and realize that you can't really be given, you know, like the contemplative mm-hmm. nature or actually that next yeah. level, you know? Well, the, uh, again, Rohr uh, uses the phrase include and transcend, mm. that you your previous life experience was – that fits you then, but as you grow and you experience life and as, as you think about it, as you contemplate, you transcend those former beliefs and you move into new ones. That's not to say the others were bad or anything like that, but it's to say that you don't think that way anymore. You know, like when you were a child, maybe you, you did think theistically, mm-hmm. but now that, that, that's not adequate to my life experience. 
that's not to say it was bad. You include it in your life experience, but you transcend it mm. and you keep moving. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's funny because there's like this uh, tendency to circle the wagons, mm-hmm. right? You got to protect what you have. You've got to you've got to really like if you if you lose what you have, you have nothing. You know, yeah. so it's it's almost like uh, versus maybe diversify and you know get out there a little bit, but it's scary out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there is risk, you know, in, in almost anything outside of that, you know, barrier of safety, you know, like swimming out past the reef, like in Finding Nemo, you know? Yeah. It's like, you got to go out there, but there's big ass fish that could eat you, you know? So, but you, you can't not, you know, or like Jesus in the boat in the, you know, in the storm, you know, just chilling, sleeping, like not even (laughs) worried about it. It's like, this dude's a maniac, you know? Um, so I got here written, like getting into the zone. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your tricks or hacks or like, what do you use to like get into into the zone where you can disassociate from the identity that you've built for yourself. Um, the the meditation processes or mm. practices. Or yeah, you know, that? like one, what? Uh, just as an example, I realize like if I'm if I'm gonna try to meditate, mm-hmm. I got to start thinking about it like uh, two meals before I'm gonna meditate because if I eat oh. something greasy, it you know I can't get into a zone. I can't get into uh, like even a, a contemplative state, it's impossible because my brain is all jacked up, the chemistry or something. So are there like certain, certain things like that? If, if, if somebody comes to you and says, um, I can't meditate, I, you know, whatever, what are like some of like the instant pointers that you give them or, well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Simple, simple. Point. Yeah. I hear what you're saying now. Uh, one, it has to be regular that you don't do it. Sporadic has been. Yeah, you know. I think I'll make a thing now. Uh, it, 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 it's the regularity of doing it. It's, it's, it's a. That's why they call it practice, spiritual practice. It, it just like specifically like centering prayer. You do it every day and preferably twice a day. Mm. That's the. In in that method, and you may you say, well, I just had, you know, I just ate uh, a whole whole order of onion rings from <laughs> Burger King or whatever, yeah. you know. Oh, God. But nevertheless, you do it. Mm. Whatever time of day that you set aside to do that. Uh, and, and you practice it, and maybe one day it'll just be everything, nothing. You know, just all kinds of ideas are floating away or into your head and bouncing around, you know, the monkey brain that we mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you've got that going, but you, you just keep doing it. So uh, that's that's the first thing is that you have to be regular in doing it, and there are a multitude of ways of doing it. Right. I mean, there there's uh, uh, walking, a meditative walking where you just walk very slowly and you try. But all of them have in common is emptying the mind of all these thoughts that, that keep going, that keep coming to us. Yeah. But you have to let go. Of them. It, it's kind of interesting when you say like emptying the mm-hmm. mind. It's like uh, whenever I was thinking about here and everything, it's like one of the things that's cool that y'all have done here is y'all have created space. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an interesting like relationship between those two words because it, creating 
nothingness. Yes. Creating emptiness. Yes. You know? And a lot of times people don't, or at least me, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to be like, to, to sit back and be like, okay, I'm going to create emptiness. And that is going to be productive. You know, mm-hmm. like emptying out something is productive. It's like a trash can, you know, once it gets full, if you don't empty it, then the trash can's worthless because mm-hmm. there's no more room in it for the trash, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it, it is kind of interesting to me. It's like, um, and it's almost like a Zen, like a Zen thing is like, mm-hmm. how do you create nothing? Like, how do you, you know, like it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a cool. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. The, the, uh, one of the ways of understanding it is, um, rather than create nothing, you accept that's what is, mm. there's nothing that you enter into it rather than you create it. Mm. But that's that's the part of it, letting letting go, uh, is to, to let go of those ideas, let go of those emotions that you're having right now, and just enter into uh, Meister Eckhart, uh, another one of the the, the mystics. He in the, was teaching in the 13th century. You know that 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 uh, God is nothing or no thing, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what you enter into is into that vastness of. What's reality? Right. Uh, it's a whole is a whole different way of experiencing. But what but we think of in terms of creating. That's a real common. I got to. Right. Right. No, you just let go. It's like actively being passive. Like you you have yeah. to you have to yeah. actually be trying to not try. Uh huh. And it's like kind of like well, how do you try to not try? You know, it's like yeah. almost like a contradiction. But within that contradiction is the freedom of the space, you know, of yeah. the nothingness, you know. Yeah, uh, applications of that, uh, oftentimes you'll hear sports, you know, athletes talk about when they, mm. you were mentioning the zone, you know. Right. Athletes will talk about that try by not trying. Right. And uh, it particularly works for individual sports like golf. You know, some of those great ones, they, mm. they, 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 they're not even trying when they're doing well. Yeah. Because they just let it. There's like effortless effort, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that's that's when you can try out like really tell a true master whenever they're – it doesn't even look like they're trying. They make it right. look so easy and effortless or like you see like a surfer catching a wave and coming yeah. down and then it's like, you know, it's interesting whenever they try to describe that feeling. It's, it's like it's nothing, you know. It's I disappear. Mm-hmm. I become the wave. I become – uh, participation with this force that I can't understand or control. Yeah, you know. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, one of the, well, just to oh, yeah, tag on to that one about the the uh, athletes, but I think even more so, it's it's uh, improvisational music, mm-hmm. uh, like jazz. When you see a great like a Sonny Rollins or a Dexter Gordon or some of the the old time jazz artists, you know, when that when they're improvising it's they're not thinking it's it's something that's flowing through them that is coming out of their instrument and mm-hmm. uh, that that's when you you can really observe it that's one of the reasons why we have uh, we really like to promote the uh, music here at the abbey uh, we do that with high plains public radio mm-hmm. they have the living room concerts yeah here. yeah and it is uh our our thinking is that this 
space that we're in is infused with that spirituality that came about through those musicians mm. being here. It's a real, you can just feel it when you're in the listening to the music because when people come here, they're not here to drink or eat with music in the background. They're here to listen to the artist. Mm. And, and it's a real, it's a, and they love it. The musicians love it because people are actually listening to their songs. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, hey, are you aware of the Tecla House? Have you heard of the Tecla House? No, I don't know that. It's um, they're at Olson and Tecla, but they have an Instagram oh. and stuff. And uh, one of the things that was kind of interesting, we were, um, I think, I think it was their first show. Uh, Jenny Anzarella from High Plains uh-huh. Public Radio was, you know, kind of involved with it, and um, it was funny because the artist made a comment because everybody's chilling, yeah. like we're all sitting on blankets kicked back um and paying attention to the music everybody was like yeah intently paying attention and she like made or the the artist made the comment she was like this is kind of weird because we're used to playing in bars or different places where we're the we're the background we're the secondary means of entertainment Mm -hmm. whereas everybody that was at the tecla house and typically it's been indicative of most of the concerts i've gone there that everybody's there for the for the yeah. music that's being provided, not necessarily the scene. Even though the scene is really pretty there, you know, like yeah. they got a nice setup. Um, but everybody's there because of the music, primarily yeah. and secondarily, you know, because of the the culture or not yeah. not culture because music's part of the culture. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 a uh, everybody appreciates. You know what they produced something. Mm-hmm. The artists, is, we always have the the ones that perform here. Uh, it's all their compositions. You know, so they're singing their music mm-hmm. and they're expressing them what they're feeling and mm-hmm. what they're thinking. Uh, so it's kind of nice to have somebody listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if if nobody's listening, then it's just two people playing, or you know, multiple yeah. people playing music for each other. Mm-hmm. Once you add that audience, then it creates. A, a gift that you're producing for others, not necessarily right. just for yourself or for, you know, right. your own ears or whatever. Yeah. And it, it's kind of one of those things like, can you actually listen to the music you're playing yourself? You know, it's kind of a weird uh, question, but, um, so what, what do you think is happening in the zone? Like, what do you think is happening whenever you empty yourself? Um, what is, what is that? Do you, mm-hmm. What's happening in there? Because um, it's like, uh, have you ever been in a float tank? No. I oh, have. dude, you need to. Okay. I bet. Oh, man, you would. So it it, it eliminates uh-huh. a lot of stuff. And they have one at Montage Spa right over here oh, yeah. next to Slotchkey's behind huh. Sharky's. They've got a couple in there. Um, but I, the couple times I floated you reach this point where it's almost like daydreaming uh-huh. to where as soon as you start trying to pay attention to what you're thinking about, it disappears. So like yeah. the only way to participate in it is like passively and then you're not going to remember any of it. It's like waking up from a dream and you instantly mm-hmm. forget it. But that that time of, you know, a lot of people would say, well, if you don't remember it, how did it mean anything? Or how is it? But that's very, mm-hmm. like, meaningful and you almost, like, process stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So that's kind of what I'm meaning is, like, yeah. what what is it? Is it is it that you're removing the primary processes of the brain 
and then you're exposed to the secondary processes of the brain? Or are you eliminating the brain and somehow experiencing something else? I mean, like, that's kind of my question. Yes. I, I, well, what I can say is what I've experienced and what others I know who, who have who have had similar experiences, it, that it, it is like it's a letting go of the processes of the brain, of thinking, of, of uh, feeling. You know, you've... There are things that are going on in the back of your brain that you don't know about that manifest themselves in your body. Mm. You know, if you've ever, if you wake up and your, you know, your shoulders are sore or something like that, usually that means you're struggling with something. It's like where you carry your stress, or you exactly. Carry your... Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's carrying your stress. And I, when you were talking about that, that I, I've uh, got a friend uh, in our men's book book group who uh, uh, participated in that that, that body uh, the floating mm-hmm. floating experience and I, I do know that they use it in uh, treatment f- facilities you know for uh, substance abuse mm. and that, that's one of the things that they're trying to they're using to help people uh, with their issues that way so mm. but yeah it would it would be like that I've not uh, I've not done that but it would from what I understand when people's descriptions of it it would be like that just a historical curiosity about that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an old, uh, well, they, they, it's rebooted TV show, Hawaii Five-0. Mm-hmm. The original Hawaii Five-0, back... 70s? 70s, early 70s, yeah. I uh, had uh, a villain in it called Wolf Fat, and he captured the guy that was the star of the show, you know, McGarrett, uh-huh. and put him in a tank like that with the idea that it would wipe his mind out you see, oh. so I remember that from like fifty years ago. Yeah. A, TV, a TV show was talking about putting you in a tank like that, where you had no sense, so sensation. But McGarrett's mind was so strong oh, that he survived. He, yeah, he could, <laughs> he could hold on. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. Yeah, but, I, but it just came to mind when yeah. you talked about well, and that. Well, and that is funny because you know <clears throat> it's interesting. And I was I rode my bike over here today. And, you know, people are zooming past me all the time. Uh-huh. You know, on, on a bike, people are just flying by, and it's like people have so many places to go, and everything's so important, and their time yeah. is so important that um, it's almost in our culture, it's a hard sell mm-hmm. to say you're going to experience nothing. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to experience nothing. And the goal is to realize that you are nothing. You know, or something mm-hmm. like that, in like a hyper materialistic culture like that we have, yeah. and uh, where we've even turned time into a material to be consumed. Yeah. You know, the cell that um, being in nothing is more productive than trying to be in something. You know, mm-hmm. um, so like that—that's kind of where like the uh, like what are you tapping into when you're tapping into that nothing? You're you know, experiencing reality. You're experiencing reality. Yeah. The reality, re, and that's what I was saying earlier about uh, when we're talking about belief systems. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not reality. That's that's we're pointing towards it mm. or, or how we understand it, perhaps, but that's not reality. And when you experience that that sense of no time, then, then that's reality. Mm. But even by saying that, you're defining it. <laughs> right, right. So it's it's like, uh, what do they say? Like, uh, you can't 
oh, I'm trying to remember. I feel like it maybe is like a Richard Rohr or something, but like the second that something passes from thought into speech, even if it's in your mind, mm-hmm. you've already lost the original concept. Mm-hmm. You've already like diluted it or maybe bastardized it or something. You've already yeah. lost yeah. what it was. So mm-hmm. it's like one of those things that only exists when in a realm that you can't define. Yes. It's kind of a hard uh, sell almost. You know? Yeah, it's, a, it's that, that you know that you've experienced it. Uh, one, of our, one of our teachers, uh, my wife and I participated in uh, Richard Rohr's school for, uh, it's called School for Living. Or, uh, one of the teachers, Jim Finley, describes it as, I know what I know without knowing how I know what I know, but I know what I know. Mm. So you, you can't really express it, but you know it. When you've experienced that reality, mm. you know, when you ex- not that reality, when you experience the presence mm. of the holy, you you know it. But I can't tell you how I know that I know. And that's what it's so funny to me. Anytime I ask, you know, I get to talking to somebody about spirituality mm-hmm. or Christianity, they that's what they say. I felt it. Yeah, but it's interesting when they define what they felt as something that they previously knew. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, and I don't. That I, it's an interesting jump, and yeah. I'll, it always surprises me when people make that jump and they say, "Well, I know it because I've experienced it," and and it was this. It's like, wait, how how'd you make that jump? You yeah. know, to that can't go from it, it was this. I, you know, I, for myself, I can't do that because mm-hmm. I, I it uh, you would ex- I would assume experience. I don't know that you experience it differently, but. It, trying to uh, convey it or try to explain it to somebody else, you really can't. Right. And it's it's kind of one of those things, too, that uh, it almost creates this, uh, like a rebel. When it, Like for me, at least, it seems like if you, if I experience something that is within myself, it's hard for me to then have to define it as what everybody else defines it as. If it happened within me, I can't necessarily acknowledge that the same thing that happened with me within me is the same thing that you experienced. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like we you want to contextualize it um, in a way that can be shared. Maybe maybe it's like trying to mm-hmm. share the the unshareable experience of that or something. I, yeah, that, well, that's one of that's one of the uh, uh, in the contemplative tradition. It's one of the ways of uh, sharing with another is to try to explain to another person what you experienced. Mm. But you expect, I mean, you, you, uh, you uh, accept how the other person experienced it. Without, but what we get into is arguments over doctrine, you know, mm-hmm. and different religions and, you know, even expressions of Christianity. You're arguing over, well, you should believe this or no, you should believe that. When, from the contemplative position is, I can as best I can explain to you what I experienced and you can explain to me as best you can what you experienced and you just accept well, that's what you experienced. Mm. How can, I can't, I, I couldn't argue with how, that's how you experienced it. Yeah. How do you argue about that? Yeah. You can't argue with that. Well, it's like, it's like you take a Buddhist who's experienced enlightenment and you uh-huh. take a Christian who's experienced salvation mm-hmm. and you say, well, what's the difference mm-hmm. between the experience that y'all each had because really it's a it's a after 
conception or context that you're then applying to the mm-hmm. experience. You're not necessarily talking about the experience. You're saying, well, I define it as this and I define it as this, but maybe it's the exact same thing. Could be. You know, yeah. could be or or doesn't necessarily need to be. It's it's a yeah. it's a nothingness. It's it's doesn't necessarily need to be yeah. defined. Yeah. That's scary to a lot of people. It like is. being it like saying saying that this is something that happens to us all, but I can't define it for you and you can't define it for me. So it's like, how do we find unity in the undefinable, you know, aspects of experience, I guess. Yeah. So, well, one one of the, one of the things that another one of the sayings among the mystics is that uh, you reach a point where you don't have to be right. Mm. You just, this is what I experienced and this is, this is how I would explain it. And, I don't have to prove to you, you know, you don't have to agree with me or that, but that's a hard place to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very difficult. Uh, Cause we usually want to be right. <laughs> right. Well, and uh, so I don't have this question written down, but you know, like the, the duality of right and wrong. I know mm-hmm. like Richard Rohr talks about like the divine dance and yeah. how it's, you know, that having a, uh, instead of a dualistic thought, uh, try, I don't know if that's the, how would he yeah. describe it? Trialistic, I don't know. Or like what? Triune. Triune. So like right and wrong. And, and that's one of, this is a little bit of a digression, but like when uh, man eats from the, the, not, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mm-hmm. it's almost like dualistic thinking was introduced to man. And God was like warning, don't, don't have the the dualistic as soon as you start thinking in the dualistic terms you can no longer grasp what it is to like be human you know it's like a it's a casting downward you know so it's almost like trying to transcend the curse of dualistic thinking through like a contemplative way of like understanding you know and and in that no right or wrong exists there's there's not a dual, there's not a line in the sand there's not a this or that it's a nothing I I don't exactly know you know I'm trying to I'm still trying to process that stuff you know yeah um uh, well one of the one of the on that particular story I uh, my advice would be to to read some Jewish literature on the understanding because that's their story right that's right Jewish, and what most of us who grew up in a Christian culture uh, or environment, uh, get it from the the uh, Augustinian interpretation from the church. You know, they talk about original sin. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's mm. you talk you talk to somebody who grows up in Judaism. They say, "What are you talking about? That's not what that story is about. That's mm. not what it's about." And when it was originally written, you know, the way that they were writing, it's saying from the Jewish perspective. You're responsible for your own actions, and you're going to be held accountable for your own actions. You know what's right, you know what's wrong, and so act accordingly. Mm. That's what the story is about. It's not. It's about personal responsibility. It's. It's not about you've got a sin on you. Right. It's that that you're going to have to. You're going to have to work it out. Right. And you're. Yeah. So. Hmm. It's a it's about accountability. That is interesting. Like we got the Old Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. but the new the Old Testament is always 
filtered through the lens of a New Testament uh, of the New Testament eyes for most of us. Yeah, for most of us, that's right. That's yeah. right. That and that's and that's uh, if you if you have contact with rabbis or or with uh, uh, and, and people from the Jewish tradition, you know, say quit messing around with our book. You know, you, you're you're interpreting it through, mm. just as you say. You know, and so it's really helpful to go back and okay, how do the rabbis interpret it? Yeah, it, it, it'll give you a whole other understanding of, of uh, and that's that was Jesus' faith. You know, people right. say, oh, I follow Jesus. Well, follow what he was following. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is interesting. It's like uh, you don't, you know, uh, it was all of the, the, the Jewish words uh-huh. were translated out of the new reading. So instead uh-huh. of it saying rabbi, rabbi, it says teacher, uh-huh. teacher, you know. Yeah. So it's almost like um, de-Jewish or de-Judifying it, you know, like mm-hmm. you make it more of like a, you know, I'm imagining my preacher at the church instead of imagining a Jew being a rabbi, mm-hmm. you know, walking around and, yeah. you know. So, yeah, that's that's pretty, that's a pretty interesting problem that nobody mm-hmm. talks about yeah. in, in within the Christian faith, you know. Yeah, I, I, did, I was... Just happened. I was switching channels the other day, and I, I, Sunday morning, and I caught. I avoid this whenever I can, but one of the TV preachers <laughs> was talking, and 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 he was uh, making a comment about uh, Jesus uh, commenting on on the Thou shalt not kill, mm-hmm. and he says it's it's really it's Thou shalt not murder, and as it says here in the Greek, you know, well. Hey, dude! Jesus didn't speak Greek. Right. He was speaking Aramaic. Right. So you got the interpretation. Is that so? What do you? But that's what we do. Is that we? Uh, many of us in the Christian tradition don't honor the Jewish tradition by what did they mean when they right. said it? Right. With like, it's ignoring the context. I heard somebody say the other day, like something like. Uh, Jesus being white or making that comment, uh-huh. and it's like, dude, he was Middle Eastern. It's <laughs> like, unlikely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not very likely that everyone's falling around the the one white dude that was walking around. You know, it's like if anything, the 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 whitest people were probably the the Romans uh-huh. that were occupying yeah. the land, the oppressors. Uh, not to say anything about race, like I don't think that that's what the message was no. or anything. But a lot of the times, like I guess in the context would be. Us trying to put a narrative, a meta narrative, on top of the narrative to try to uh, justify a lot of like what we want it to say, making it mm-hmm. instead of which is it's interesting because like that's what to me like part of what the contemplative approach um, signifies is it's not reconciling it to what you think, it's you learning that what you think needs to be reconciled to what reality is. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a different, I'm not putting it on that. It's giving me something, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a gift, I guess, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, we, we tend to find what we're previously thinking, what we're looking for. That was one of the things that, uh, that there's a historical movement uh, within understanding the New Testament in particular. Uh, it was, uh, Albert Schweitzer wrote, mm-hmm. a, wrote a book called In Search of the Historical Jesus. And his conclusion, and this was written like in 1890, <laughs> so mm. you know, that, that was the beginning of the what's called the historical critical 
understanding of, of Scripture. And, but his point was, what we, throughout history, what we tend to find is the Jesus that we already conceived of. That is, we read into it from our own culture, mm-hmm. the, who, who this historical Jesus, and what he's saying is we got to go back and find out who this historical person really was. It's like the confirmation bias. Absolutely. I'm, I'm yeah. wanting to read this to justify what I already think mm-hmm. instead of wanting to read this to to erase what I already think and, and and maybe even push past what I already think. Yeah. Yeah, well and we do it we do it constantly with uh, with inter- that that goes back to the underst- or not back to we hadn't talked much about scripture but when you read that's what we tend to do is you know because how can you when you take the whole context of scripture justify slavery right. and yet people did right and thoroughly and and current issues you know people will take something in the context of something from 3000 years ago and say that applies today no one doesn't yeah you know that's you just want to justify your own well and it, it it does seem to me uh like a lot of the contemplative nature of jesus is brushed over uh-huh. you know it's like we, we say, oh, you know, he taught us how to pray based off of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. But if you really think about it, the disciples, in a lot of ways, it's interesting to me that the disciples wrote themselves into the book so mm-hmm. ignorantly, you know? Like, he's showing you how to pray all the time. He's mm-hmm. going off to the, to the desert. He's mm-hmm. going off by himself in isolation and spending a lot of hours in quiet and fo- in contemplation. Mm-hmm. That's what, how Jesus is praying. But no, I want something tangible that that we can, you know, say around the dinner table or something that we can share. Teach us how to pray. Mm-hmm. How the other rabbis teach their students, how, or uh, what is John the Baptist? Mm-hmm. Like we want a prayer because John the Baptist's followers have a prayer. So give us this, you mm-hmm. know. So what does he give? You know, in that it's kind of interesting. It's like uh, we we look at that one section and say this is how you pray. Instead of looking at all these other sections where Jesus is showing how to pray, you know. Well, the the uh, why that's popular why that's popular is because uh, movements as as they progress as they as they evolve tend towards institutionalization, mm. and having that prayer was part when the, first you got to write down what did he say because at first it was oral, you know, you just mm. pass down. This is what Jesus taught. We better write this down. So then you write it down. Well, then which which one of the writings is the one we're supposed to? And and if you're going to have formal gatherings, you go. Well, we need a prayer. He says, well, he he here's he said, well, do it like this, you know. So they institutionalize mm. it, and then you get the institutionalization of beliefs. So you better if you're going to be part of this organization, you got to believe this, rather than the, well, this is how I experienced Jesus. Yeah, and you don't want to contaminate. No, no. You don't want to contaminate, like, you get somebody who says something Buddhist, get their ass out of here, that's because right. we're not a Buddhist organization. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, silence and contemplation versus knowledge collection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a both and. It's a, it's a, say that again? It's both and. It's both it's and. Both and. Uh, yeah, it, the contemplation piece is, informs your, your beliefs. Your knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't exactly uh, know I where. Interrupted your question. Well, and I don't exactly know. Like that, literally, is all I have written down is silence, comma, contemplation versus knowledge collection. Like I was wondering if, um, 
or do they is it like one sharpens the other or are they independent like how how do you you know whenever whenever somebody comes to you and says hey i want to practice contemplation mm-hmm. um how do you introduce knowledge while also eliminating thought i guess uh-huh. does that make sense yeah yeah it's uh the way i would uh I, well i'd use an analogy of uh, of music Mm. is that what I was talking earlier about how the, the jazz greats and their improvisation and mm-hmm. all that, that improvisation is informed by their practice of, of music. Mm-hmm. They first go intimately know scales, you know, and they know what's supposed to follow what in, in the music, and then they let it go. But, but first you have to have the knowledge. So one informs the other. Uh, you can, from your experience, your contemplative experience, you can read something and you say, eh, it's quite sound right. Mm-hmm. Or it can say, that's what I, that's what I was experiencing. Mm. So the more you read, reading people like Rohr and reading uh, John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila, uh, the ancient mystics, you, you can, you can see, wait a minute, that's, that's, that. Uh, illuminates what I experienced. So the experience is informed by the reading, and the reading is informed by the. So it's a both end. It's like you have to know the convention to go against it. Almost mm-hmm. like like yeah. with with yeah, like, with like music. That. Like yeah. that's one of the one of the cool things. Like uh, occasionally I'll sit in like a jam session or something, uh-huh. and and typically I'm always like blown away, you know, by the knowledge. But you you got certain guys who know the convention. And then they do something that's different than the convention, and all of the guys who know the convention enjoy that. Yes, like they see that flair, that um, advancement in a lot of ways. You know, yes. like whenever you have to have that con- that convention first to then advance beyond it, right. so that the next person can get to where you're at and then advance beyond it. It's a uh, it's like a continual advance versus a lot of the times I feel like in within spirituality uh, to even expand it beyond Christianity is a lot of the times people want you to be below where they're at, you know, or like, mm-hmm. or follow to, to where they're at. Yeah. So it's like where I am is the goal yeah. and you need to get here instead of saying where I'm at is the starting spot and you need to go way beyond me. You need to leave me in the dust. That's kind of the goal, you know? Uh, and it is interesting because like, you know, you get some like classical people, you start getting these fundamentalists yeah. in whether it be music or whatever. And they start saying like, Jimi Hendrix comes along. And it's like, that's not music. Yeah. That's not beautiful. And it's like, well, you <laughs> might have to check yourself there, you know, because it maybe has advanced beyond what you're, conception of, of mm-hmm. that convention is, you know, yeah. Yeah. so it's pretty cool. That's an interesting, um, so I have, I have, uh, internal truth versus external context. Um, mm-hmm. one of the, that's one of the things I always wonder with like spirituality is, is so many times, um, people want to put it within a convention that already exists, mm-hmm. you know, versus, um, I don't know exactly. Do you do you have anything to do with that, or do you do you have uh, something? Well, to say I, uh, t- if I if I'm here, if I'm interpreting the question right, I think that uh, uh, 
you're not called to be anything, anyone other than Dexter. That's who you're called. You, you are, your life is lived out in such a way that you're going to be authentically Dexter. Mm-hmm. That's what you're called to be. That, that's your calling. And however you get there, you're not the, you know, you can learn from other people, but uh, you're not to be that other person. Mm-hmm. You're to be you. And that's, that's, that takes a lifetime. And actually, you never, <laughs> right. never, you never get there. Never get there. You know, it's always a little more. Yeah. Well, it's funny because there's sometimes whenever uh, advertisement, you know, I always mm-hmm. hate it when advertisement works on me. Whenever I see an <laughs> advertisement and I'm like, damn, I do want those shoes. Yeah. That would make me look cooler. Or, yeah. wow, that hat looks cool on that guy and it probably would look make me look cool. Yeah. You know, and you start like almost building up yourself with these like models of other people. Yeah. You know, and, and versus, versus like, it, it's actually a little bit more scary to like acknowledge that there is an internal truth mm-hmm. that I can't cover up and I can't pretend out of existence, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess with shortcomings and, you know, different limitations, you know, but I guess with every limitation is also an opportunity to like mm-hmm. produce something different, yeah. you know? Uh, unique or something. Well, one of the, that, that's what I was saying earlier in the conversation about how, about we all carry wounds in mm-hmm. us, and uh, one of Rohr's sayings is whatever wounds we have that we don't address, that we don't deal with, we transmit, that we pass on those hurts and that pain. And, mm. uh, so we have to deal with it, but we don't want to go there. Damn, dude. That's pretty intense because I, I've actually been experiencing that a lot with my kid. Is like there are times whenever I have to check myself and say, you know, I, I'm going to mess up my kid. My kid Mm -hmm. is going to have, whenever he's 25, he's going to have certain things and say, my dad screwed me up this way. My dad screwed me up this way. My dad did this. My dad didn't this, you know, and like, it's impossible to avoid that. Even if I'm a great dad, Mm -hmm. the greatest dad, you know, cause you're saying those scars and stuff, they manifest outside of control, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It, and it's, it's very difficult. Like you have to do a lot of self work to not pass on that wound. Absolutely. Even, even with Christianity, oh, you yeah. know, like oh, yeah. there, there are certain things about the church. I, you know, yeah. with air quotes, yeah. the church, yeah. uh, my wife gets mad at me all the time cause I'll be making a general statement uh-huh. and she's like, no, you, you, what you're saying is your own hurt. You're, what you're projecting mm-hmm. onto something, like, don't necessarily sell that as a truth or yeah. as a, a reality. You know, so like, I've become like hyper aware of of that. You know, yeah. having a kid, it's like you got these. I've got these scars, and if I don't acknowledge the scar, then I'm just going to cut my kid the same way. Absolutely, that's 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 what we do, and that that's why that that. It's the point of self-awareness is being aware of those and then trying to do something about it. Mm. It, it starts with the end of it. You know, we t- talk about, uh, you know, society doing this and these big pictures. It starts with us mm-hmm. as an individual. First, fix yourself. <laughs> right. Then <laughs> work on well, and that's, society. That's one of the things <laughs> that I think is so interesting about, like, political talk uh-huh. and how it's become, like, the main talk yeah. and the main way that you judge how you are moralistically, it's based off of who am I supporting instead of being like, who am I? Mm-hmm. 
You know, yeah. it's it's kind of interesting that people want to define themselves as well. I support Beto, or mm-hmm. I support Cruz, or I and like that says anything about you. Yeah, you know, like a party affiliation doesn't say anything about who you are, or what you think, or who you you know how you believe the things you believe. Mm-hmm. It is kind of interesting, and I, I've always wondered because to me it seems like people trying to avoid that question. It's it's people trying to avoid the question of what do I believe. It's a lot easier for me to tell you what this guy believes instead of me like identifying what I believe and what I think and what I want, you know, or or what what I don't want, what I'm scared of, you know. It's it's a lot easier to to look at the other person and say that, you know. It is, yeah. One of one of the ways of uh, uh, that we have in common in our discussions that we have here at the Abbey and our our group discussions is that uh, rather than stating something as this is the truth, you know, we, we say it's my sense of this mm. and that we understand that with our, with our conversations is that whatever the issue we're talking about, it's my sense that this is what, what's happening mm. Ra- rather than, you know, how, how it is that so often we'll hear people say something as if, by God, that's the way it is. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, so let's see here what we got. All right, so what kind of – like you've already – and I actually have written down here. I have Richard Rohr, Desert Fathers, and Meister Eckhart as examples, mm-hmm. which you've pretty much already mentioned them. But uh, do you have any like resources that if somebody – Let's say somebody's listening to this and they have zero contemplative practice or zero experience. Are there some resources that you would direct them to for yeah. good starting spots? Yeah, I, I, the classic starting place for uh, that I would suggest is Cynthia Bourgeau, uh, Centering Prayer. Okay, it's 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 a uh, it was written about thirty years ago, roughly. Uh, it it's it's. It's uh, simple in the sense of that you can understand what she's saying, and she gives you here step by step. Um, another would be uh, the Palace of Nowhere and Nothing mm. by James Finley. That's a damn. That's a that's a hell of a title, right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Finley was a uh, protege of Thomas Merton. He was in the same. He was a he. Merton Thomas Merton was his spiritual director mm. when he was in the monastery, and uh, Finley has since become a he he left the monastery and became a trauma uh, psychi- psychologist. Mm. Uh, but anyway, he writes beautifully. It's and it's it's another one of those classics that's been around about thirty years too. Okay, but it's it's an excellent excellent book uh, that gives a broad perspective of the contemplative tradition. Um, so those and uh, virtually anything by Richard Rohr, um, Immortal Diamond is is one of his good is a good one. Mm. Uh, so, but but it gets you you know one thing leads to another. But those are the it, now I wouldn't advise going into the into the ancient mystics to start with because you you read it like like the book. To start with, if you're, I mean, after you've read some of the modern ones like Bourgeau and Finley, 
uh, would be the uh, cloud of unknowing. That's the that's kind of the start pl- mm. starting place. Uh, but you read it and you think, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. You know, it's to it's deep. It's super deep. Yeah, and it, well, it's so different, mm. and it's it's short chapters, and and you, you want to get a, a there's a translation by a woman named Butcher uh, for Cloud of Unknowing uh, that that is much more accessible than most of the translations of Cloud mm. of Unknowing, but it's it's so it's written from such a different perspective than we're used to thinking that that you you say what. So when did, when did that book? You said it was written in the 13th century. Mm-hmm. When did it like come back into like publication? Oh well, in the 1930s there was a there was a well there was a translate. It came back into general knowledge outside of like monasteries mm-hmm. in, in the 1880s with a translation, and then in the 1930s. Uh, it was real curious. A Jewish lawyer translated it. Hmm. <laughs> it was a good translation for the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's, there's more modern translation. Now. A Jewish lawyer, man, that's hilarious to like imagine that that was the dude's like part time gig yeah, that he did was. for a hobby. He's like, yeah, oh yeah, I like to sit around and translate these ancient texts into modern language. And so, yeah. yeah, that's pretty. That's like wild, you know. Like people now like enjoy watching sports and mm-hmm. watching sitcoms. And that dude's translating an ancient text. Yes, yes, you have to have a certain mind to be able to do that. Uh, oh, another another uh, contemporary one uh, would be uh, Mirabai Star. Nearby Star. Mir. Mirabai. Oh, Mir. Yeah, M I R A B A I. Mirabai Star. Oh, Mir. Okay. She's uh, does translations and also writes. Look, she's done uh, the um, Dark Night of the Soul mm. was one of her one of the trans which is from John of the Cross. Okay, so that would be one you can start with. Or her other book is called Caravan of Dreams, and um, or, or Caravan of No Despair. I mean, uh, uh, she's a mystic uh, that, that invokes uh, several different traditions, mm. and it's, she's really really. It, Interesting. I, I kind of hate that, like, the uh, term mystic mm-hmm. got slided with, yeah. like, New Age Trut, and right. um, yeah. what is it whenever uh, – I can't – they say, like, the Native Americans' religion was uh, – it wasn't theistic. It was um, – I can't think of that term. Pantheistic? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it kind of got – it got slotted as this uh, – heathenistic yeah. or paganistic word right. whereas instead of it being like well jesus was a mystic you know and and i i do feel like i hate that the christian tradition because there's a lot of people who are weirdos that fit the term of mystic but they mm-hmm. don't fit the term of like conventional christian right. so it's like instead of having a spot for the weirdos within the faith like with a label Instead, we like get rid of the the label, which then gets weirder, gets rid of the weirdos. You right. know, it's like uh, one of the things I've heard. Um, I listen to like Aubrey Marcus, and there's a couple other dudes that, and they they talk about um, like in hunter gatherer tribes. Or actually, I think that this is this dude named Chris, Christopher Ryan. He's written some books, but they say in uh, that there's no such thing as mental illness. 
because you take the weirdos and you give them to the other weirdos. You give them to the shamans. Mm -hmm. And once the the shamans know what to do with a weirdo because they're weirdos. So instead of looking at it as a detriment or looking at it as an illness – they look at it as uh, an opportunity, uh-huh. you know, to take like somebody who doesn't see the world correctly or maybe talks to other people. It's like, well, what would happen if we take care of this person, give them a healthy context and then say, talk to those people. What are those people saying? Yeah. You know, what and do they I, see that we don't see. Yeah. And, and actually bring them in as uh, a viable part of society instead of ostracizing them and saying well you don't quite fit into the nine to five model of you know office work you can't sell insurance so you're uh you know let's put you in the the pavilion or let's put you out on the street you know instead maybe take those people and say let's let's learn what what you are maybe seeing versus what i am seeing Mm -hmm. you know make them artists kind of yeah, you yeah. Know? So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, the hunter gatherer cultures. I feel like, you know, we lost <clears> for <throat> so long. We wanted to find them as pagan and mm-hmm. non-believers and say that they have zero spirituality, right? Because they're not practicing this spirituality. Therefore, they mm-hmm. have no spirituality. So you lose like a huge swath of human a swath swath <laughs> of human existence. I've made that mistake on the podcast before. I've said sloth instead of swath. But part of having a speech, I don't know, maybe I have a speech impediment, but it's like, uh, or brain impediment, I'm not sure. But it's like uh, you lose all of this experience Mm -hmm. by demonizing the experiencer, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it is kind of a, it's a weird thing that we've done. I don't know why we would limit ourselves that way, you know? Well, well, uh, uh which tags into another a book I would uh, recommend is uh, called Original Blessing by Matthew Fox. Oh, okay. Uh, Matthew Fox was here at the oh, really? Abbey uh, about three years ago. He's uh, internationally known. I mean, he's, he's like Richard Rohr. Mm. But his concept is creation spirituality. And what, what, you're ta- what you triggered when you talk about uh, like uh, Native American uh, spirituality. He, Fox's premise with creation spirituality is that there there is one great river that runs underneath everything and that the different manifestations of what people call religion are wells that tap into that one great river. Mm. And he's he, he is uh, very uh, uh, knowledgeable in Native American spirituality. He does, he does the sweat lodges and mm. he was a Catholic priest for a time. And he was, uh, he was, um, excommunicated from the church because of his teachings. Mm. <laughs> he, uh, uh, he's an Episcopal priest now, but, uh, makes me think of like Alan Watts. Yeah. Was, didn't yeah. Alan Watts start off as like, a mm-hmm. I don't remember. Was he Catholic or he was Catholic. Yeah. But it's the same kind of, and then he kind of like, Poof, like beelined off, and I'm sure that the right. Catholics want nothing to do with him. Right. You know? Well, that's well, maybe I'm now, maybe they're going back to him. It seems like some, yeah. some are. It depends. That's the same thing with uh, when we were talking about Christianity and a mm-hmm. lot of different. It depends which priest you're talking to. Mm. Oftentimes, you know, because mm. there are some that are very progressive. Then there are some that are extraordinarily conservative. We want to lump everybody into uh-huh. like it's you know. There's I guess none. we fall into the same. 
aspects that we maybe are critical of other people, you know, like yeah. I want to say, oh, Catholics believe this. Yeah. It's like, dude, there's a lot of Catholics. That's one of, one of the, if uh, having been a clergy for 50 years, you know, I, uh, one of the things you hate is when you're, you're with people and they'll say, uh, well, what do you do? <laughs> you just hate to say you're a minister yeah. because there's a stereotype of what a minister is. Mm. And, and we're not, we're just like everybody else. We're all, we're individuals. Right, you know, right. You know, one, one type. One type of, yeah, like a, a vein. Um, so, all right, that's awesome. So we're actually at an hour 24. Yeah. So uh, it kind of flies by, doesn't it? Does. It? it goes a lot faster right. than you'd ex- expect. Um, so I got a couple more questions. So how do you define success? Success is, is being who you were called to be, who you were created to be. That's uh, that's success, and sometimes success is by failing to be what society tells you that you're supposed to be. Mm. You're 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 a success when you're because you were created to be good and loving and kind, and and when we live into that, then we're then mm. we're a success. It's pretty interesting. I've never really thought of it that way because so it's like. Part of being a success is rebelling from what you're told to be, yeah. because then you're finding out who you actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it it starts from the premise that that we are inherently good, mm. rather than the idea that we are inherently bad. Right. And and the badness comes from not living into what we were created to be. Right. That's what I think. Do um, since you're uh, more knowledgeable, you know, on on that matter, where when did that come in? This original sin inherently bad, you know, because that's that's one of the things that a lot of people justify uh, being. What would it would, uh, evangelistic mm-hmm. is saying? Well, we've got to evangelize because people are fucked up, and we've got mm-hmm. to make it to where they're not. Um, versus the belief that people are actually good and we have to help them to discover themselves, mm-hmm. you know? So do you know episcopologically uh, where that – was it the Catholic Church of the Roman Empire? Well, it was it, – it began uh, – the, the present concept uh, pretty much began with Augustine. Mm. Uh, a Catholic theologian. Well, of course, there was only that. That was the only Christianity there was. You know, it was, mm. it was, it was the Roman Church, and and uh, so Augustine is the one who articulated the idea of original sin. That that that, and you know, that's where the the the, the ransom theology comes about. Mm. The idea that Jesus died to pay for our sins. You mm-hmm. know, that's where that idea came from. That wasn't. That wasn't part of the original concept, uh, and and there was a great debate that took place amongst or between the friends. And remember, there wasn't a, wasn't a Protestant church; it was just one church. Right, right. So uh, between two different orders of the church, the Dominicans and the Franciscans. The Franciscans were from Saint Francis, mm-hmm. Saint Francis of Assisi, and the Dominicans took the position that there was original sin. Francis is followers took the position that it was original blessing 
that we were created good, and there's that there that this idea of atonement, you know, that Jesus had to die for our sins, that's not part of that's not that's not the point. The point is giving your all to God, and it was a consequence of. Wait, what year was that around? Uh, that, that that debate took took place uh, in the 13th, 14th century. So what what would the Franciscans say that the point of Jesus dying is? The the point is that 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 for others you will give your all. Mm. That it that that that's the that's the giving all of yourself to God is an example to others that that you're doing it on their behalf, but mm. not to pay for something. That's the that's the atonement theory that most people think. Of. You know, you go to a typical church here in town, and you know they'll be you know Jesus died for your sins. Well, the Franciscans ask, well, to whom are you paying? Mm. You know, if there's if there's this theistic idea of God out there, and yeah, this this God, what kind of a God is that? It's like the banker. Well, and see, that's what's so funny to me is like it is a lot of people who would say I am an atheist or mm -hmm. I do not believe in Christianity. Mm -hmm. And then you start getting into the finer points of well, what is it that you've been told Christianity is? Yeah. Um, and then there, there are some, you know, and, and like, uh, that's one of the things that's been bothering me a lot recently uh -huh. is, so what you're telling me is that belief is a proclamation of me saying something, but it's not an, analysis of what i believe it's it's the it's the act of saying not the act of believing you know mm -hmm. so if i say jesus christ is my lord and savior and the forgiver of my sin and died for my sins mm -hmm. i'm good i believe what you believe some would say that yes. right but if i don't say that then i don't believe what you believe versus analyzing what you actually believe based off of your actions and how you act and how you actually perceive the world to be you know, it's kind of a, it's just a weird loop, like loophole mm -hmm. almost. It seems like a loophole that's mm -hmm. built into the, to the system. And it just mm -hmm. doesn't quite, it's never sat well with me. It's never quite made sense. And like you were saying, you know, if, if Jesus died to forgive our sins or to pay for our sins, then who is the banker collecting the debt on our sins? Exactly. That means that it's God yeah. is collecting you know, and, and I guess some of that would go back into like the sacrificial lamb. Exactly. So like the God of the Old Testament needed a sacrifice, needed a blood sacrament, which it's funny whenever people like people completely gloss over that and, and they ignore the fact that the Romans were calling people pagans for performing animal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Whenever it's like the Jews were performing animal, what? You know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. like a weird... It's weird how we label some things pagan and some things Christian and yeah. some things heretical and other things are doctrine, you know? It's weird where we draw those lines. A lot yeah. of them seem arbitrary. Yeah. Well, and, the, and, and this, this uh, tradition, uh, th th this idea that uh, there's only this one way of looking at Christianity, you know, the, the, the atonement idea that Jesus died to pay for our sins. The other tradition that, that from the Franciscan tradition has been there from the beginning. You know, it's even even before Francis, they, the, the, the idea that that wasn't blood sacrifice. Yeah, it's but it was never uh, said by the church. The church, meaning the the Roman church, it was never said that that's heresy. 
So there have been through through these, and we're talking about what would this be a thousand years or more? Mm-hmm. This tra- two traditions running side by side, mm-hmm. but you only most almost always hear just the one, but both have been part of the Christian tradition from virtually the beginning. And uh, are you aware of like the Gnostic Christianity? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> like that was stomped out, right? Like uh-huh. the the uh, there was like the Gnostic Christians, and then there was what were the Catholic Christians at that point? What were they called? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, like Catholic. The, the yeah that that uh, there again that that goes uh, one one of the things that we know now uh, in in more modern times is all of the literature uh, that was written at that different gospels you know there's mm-hmm. dozens and yeah. dozens of gospels like Ta- the gospel of thomas thomas and... right and the uh, gospel of mary gospel of peter you know there were a lot of them out there but what what happened was in the in the uh fifth century fourth and fifth century when the church became part of the roman empire you know it became the official religion of mm-hmm. the roman empire okay we got to have a book you know, we got to have scripture. Like Constantine. He yeah, wanted to exactly. institutionalize it. Yeah, you institutionalize, the, you institutionalize it, and so you got to have a book. And how do you decide what's going to be in the book? So they decided. The Council of Nicaea. Right. And, and they decided what's in and out. What's in and out. And they did it on the basis of, okay, this is the way that it is. And so they excluded some things that were... That were uh, you know, I had to decide what's right and what's wrong, and then they would destroy those other books. That's mm. why uh, some of them survived, and we have them, and we can see the different. Wait a minute, you know, this is a different perspective on it. It's kind of crazy because it's uh, it's like one of the it's like a people want to always ignore the revisionist nature of history, uh-huh. where you go back and you say, "Oh, this isn't how it happened." All right, let's, and then instead of preserving. The way that it wasn't, you just destroy it mm-hmm. and you erase it and you say, uh, delete, you know, on mm-hmm. that. And so it is kind of a, it is, it is interesting whenever people say, uh, this is what church is. Yeah. It's like, damn, it, like and, who, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, like, what do you, like, it's, it's difficult to even start that conversation of this is what church is. And it's interesting whenever you have like a contemplative approach to it. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're saying is church is not something that happens externally. Church is something that happens internally, mm-hmm. you know? And and then it's, you know, and, and Jesus, and people ignore it all the time, but Jesus says like that kind of stuff. He says, your body is the temple. I reside, God resides within mm-hmm. man. But it's like, it doesn't actually exist within me. I have to go to a building. I have to go to an institution. I have to go to a gathering of other people who, I guess, we all believe the same thing, you know, or whatever. It's kind of interesting that it's an that that instead of it, it starts off in nature internal, and, and but it's then projected externally mm-hmm. in practice almost. Yeah, we well, well when we. We all have an inherent need for community, you know, to be with other people. Uh, and generally, we like to associate with people who think at least similar mm-hmm. the, way, the way we do. What happens, though, with institutions is, and the church, churches are institutions, is that you start to get a little rigid about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Fundamental. Like, you have uh-huh. to, it's like, uh, 
And that's one of the things I, I wrote in here was like, it's discovering whenever, whenever you're trying to figure it out, it's discovering your foundation. And instead of it being like uh, an external foundation of doctrine and belief, it's like an internal foundation mm -hmm. that exists at the base of your existence. Yeah. You know, it's like a different way of, of seeing it, but you can't control that, you know, no uh, government or bureaucracy or institution can control the foundation that's inside you. So mm -hmm. if, if your game is control, you're not going to promote that right. aspect to your followers. That's, you know, like, that's, Hey, Hey, yeah. follow me. But in reality, follow yourself. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> that's, that's, what the contemplative tradition is about. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is uh, that you can accept different ways of, of uh, perceiving, and uh, but the institutions don't like that. Right. That's why you hadn't heard much about the contemplative tradition until uh, recent times. Right, right. Well, and it's so subversive, you oh, know? Sure. It's subversive to capitalism and communism. Mm -hmm. It's subversive to... Uh, economics, uh, the law of supply and demand and all this stuff. It's like, well, actually you have everything you need mm -hmm. within you. Yeah. Well, it, it, uh, the contemplative tradition is inherently a, a critical tradition. That is to whatever you can't criticize becomes an idol. Mm. And, uh, Ooh, dang, that's pretty intense. Yeah. And, uh, worship no idols, you know, like that uh -huh. was written in there specifically because yeah. the second something becomes sacred, then it has power over yeah. people. Yeah. If you can't criticize it, then it's, it's, it's an, it's an idol. Mm. So dang, it's pretty intense. So, um, do you have, Okay, so I like to end the podcast with the guest picking a song uh -huh. to, to like play out. So do you have like a – you mentioned earlier some like jazz greats. Um, but do you have any – like and this can either be like a song you've always enjoyed or a song that's like currently like you just can't uh -huh. stop playing or you enjoy listening <laughs> to it. It doesn't even have to be – it doesn't have to be a deep thing, you know, just something you want to like rein it all in with. <laughs> Um, yeah, Jumpin' Jack Flash. Ooh, Jumpin' Jack Flash. By? The Rolling Stones. Okay. I didn't know if that was the original, um, incarnation of it. Like, I didn't, oh, yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes it seems like I'll hear a rock and roll song that was, uh -huh. like, really popularized, and then you hear, oh, it was actually, like, a 1930s blues song. That this per like Elvis Presley did that yeah. like quite a bit. So by the Rolling Stones. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Keith woke up in the middle of the night and had the lick for Jumpin' Jack Flash, and he played it on his guitar into his. He had a recorder by there, and he woke up in the morning and he said, "What? What? What?" And he played it. And he hadn't didn't remember that he did it. Ooh. And he and Mick were working on a song, and a, and a guy named Jack was the gardener at the place where they were staying. Mm. Jack walked by, and it came. Like that to jumping jack, jumping, jumping jack, flash. Yeah, right. off they go. Do that. <laughs> you know, uh, somebody was talking. Actually, Savannah Gates. You know, who Savannah Gates uh -huh. is. Yeah. Um, she was talking about on on the podcast. She said, uh, "Peacocking uh, was Mick Jagger." Uh -huh. I think it was, I'm pretty sure she was saying it was Mick Jagger. 
anyway, it, that's not necessarily important, but she was saying that peacocking, the way he danced, uh-huh. came from the limitations of the size of the stage. You know, so he starts doing this thing, yeah. like improving. Basically, he's just feeling the music, but yeah. he's limited by the st- the space. So it ends up being its own thing. You know, yeah. through an improv, like through just the limitations of your surroundings. You know, yeah. and that it is interesting. Like good music, or truly transcendent music, comes when you're not expecting it. It's almost like it comes through you, not something that you created. Yeah. You know, yeah. well, that's interesting. She says that because there's a, a couple years ago, my wife and I were at a blues club in Chicago, Blue Chicago, this place, and it's like that small stage, and the woman singer was do it was doing all Mick Jagger's moves, you know. Mm. Well, he was probably doing her move right? mm. of a previous generation, right, right. But that's how they started. They they considered themselves a blues band, mm. uh, the Stones. Yeah, band. yeah. Uh, they 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 wanted to be the the best blues band in Britain, you know, right. Like, transcended that well and that that's one of the really cool things when you hear about like eric clapton even talks yeah like all like 99 percent of eric clapton's inspiration was old blues records from the united states you know yeah which it's kind of interesting to think about like how much england like raped the world of the culture Mm -hmm. and then what ends up actually influencing the most of english culture is actually black america black american culture you know which is like you don't get more like further removed from england i mean basically the united states formed giving the middle finger to england yeah you know and so now you even get like a even um, an oppressed people from the people that gave a middle finger to your country and that's actually your most popular that's like yeah what england's going to be known for in the you know, future, it's going to be the beautiful music that came from a very distinct group of people who were idolizing a suppressed people from a different country. So it, it's a pretty, like, rock and roll is so phenomenal in that sense, you yeah. know? It's like it's a liberated art form, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's celebratory as well. It's yeah. beautiful. All right, so uh, give me some plugs. How can people get in touch with you? How can people get in touch with... Uh, the Chalice Abbey. Well, we're 2717 Stanley Street, across from Crunch Exercise mm-hmm. that Place, uh, just off of Georgia. Uh, we are open uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The store is. Uh, we have uh, a contemplative uh, services or uh, contemplate centering prayer uh, at 6:15 on Tuesdays. And noon on Thursday, six fifteen in the morning, not or in the evening. In the evening, okay. yeah, and then at noon on Thursday. Okay, uh, those are those are centering prayer opportunities, and we have a a, a dialogue on Sunday nights at six thirty. Okay, uh, which is everybody's welcome, and and uh, the topics are uh, around creation, spirituality. Okay, okay, cool. Um, and I'll put a link in the description notes of the show to y'all's website. Um, And also uh, just like a quick plug for this space. What, what all are y'all open to hosting? Who all do y'all want to see? You know? Yeah, we're, we're open to all uh, pretty, pretty much uh, all kinds of activities. We've had a lot of like birthday parties and things like that. uh, Mm -hmm. That, that sort of thing. We, Mm -hmm. some of uh, we have some yoga groups that meet here. Mm. Uh, because of the nature of the space, because it's a it's a quiet space. So those are the 
And if uh, maybe some artists are wanting to display yeah. some work, or... yes, we have a we have an art committee. Our uh, Stephanie Yoon is our uh, art. She is a she's a professor at Emerald College. Oh, okay. And she's the one that uh, they have a committee, you know, and they solicit local artists. We we emphasize local artists. Mm. That's what we want to have in here. And, nice. And all kinds of artists. I mean, you know, it, it's open to many different kinds of art okay all right beautiful well i very much appreciate your time sure. um i appreciate your space i really appreciate all the stuff that y'all are doing and everything and um uh thank everybody for listening and this is jumping jack flash by the rolling stones peace out <laughs>